2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. And flying
0: home by Perisic! It's Eric Dyer! <laughs> Here's Lucas Moura! Oh, they did it! Great. And an equalizer from Ben Davis! No idea. Yeah. What a strike by Bisuma! Oh, he goes tying it again and wins it! Great work from Lomero! What, what a save so... by Larice. Jed Spence! Oh! oh! Off the ball, Rikuruseski! Oh, okay, Big guy, The strike at Kasson! Scores!
1: Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you are keeping very, very safe and well. Thank you so much for joining us for this special edition of The Last Word on Spurs as we gear up for the return of the Premier League. You know what you're thinking? God, we're coming back very, very soon. We are coming back very, very soon. We hope you've enjoyed this revitalised break for some. I can tell you I've absolutely loved it. And uh, I wouldn't say I'm counting down the days to Brentford, but uh, it's slowly peeling off on our calendar. Just how? Yeah, we're it.
0: looking forward to it.
1: Buzzing for the Premier League. Come on. Would it be Maka if he's not buzzing for a return of the Premier League? Although we've had six weeks off already, Maka, how are you, mate? Enjoy the uh, Christmas special the other day.
0: Very good, mate. Unbelievable scenes getting home as well, like oh. absolute scenes. And we we are in the Beaver Town, which, by the way, if you don't know, is a uh, bang opposite your south stand. And um, and it, it started snowing, didn't it? Oh, like right at the beginning of the show. Three hours later, because um, I know you were conscious of time, Rick, three hours. Three hours later, it's like a blanket of white stuff out there. I'm driving home, back to Oxfordshire. It's taken a while. There's BMWs and Mercedes, right, because they're mostly mostly rear-wheel drive. They're everywhere. They're fish tailing down the road. They're stuck. It's madness. Uh, I drive a 4x4, so I was was all right. But, uh, yeah, it was was a brilliant show and fantastic. A big shout-out to, obviously, all of the panel and all the people that enjoyed them. But massive shout-out to uh, Tim Winstone. He was superb when he was.
1: He was no, nah, he was absolutely superb. Well, it only feels right as we're gearing up towards. I know Jason McGovern listening to this now is going to cusp his ears. The uh, upcoming January transfer window. I think many are always intrigued on last one on Spurs as to how a transfer works. What is the puzzle behind a transfer? We had this man join us. He's been joining us for the last two or three years on last one on Spurs. He's done some of our post-match analysis shows. He's given us some real financial insight into football in general in the role that he does, uh, generally on like a day-to-day role. We've got the wonderful Adam Osper um, from the Sports Financial Planners ads. Lovely to have you back on last one on Spurs. You're looking refreshed. Look, like you've enjoyed the uh, break from Tottenham. How are you?
2: Refreshed. I'm sitting here with a with with a jacket on because it's so cold at the minute, and I've got the heating <laughs> on. Uh, yeah, re- uh, refreshed. I've enjoyed the World Cup. I think you know I said to you before. I've really enjoyed it. I think once once we got over the issues around you know all the problems of where the World Cup was and the timing. Actually, the football's been amazing, um, and yeah. there's some great games. I can't remember enjoying so many games. Been a World Cup for a long, long time. Just so many really good games, exciting drama. Just obviously a bit gutting about England because I really, I thought, I thought, I thought we had a good chance of going no. all the way. Yeah, I no,
1: mean, I, I'd say I yeah,
2: semi yeah. refresh semi for Spurs. We'll see. Oh, it, it could all go to pot on Boxing Day, right? And then I'll be wanting a break again. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it it does remind me of when a a player is out injured and suddenly, for some reason, their level of expectation seems to creep up and up and up, saying, oh, we're going to come back, this player's going to come back. Almost like Tottenham, we forgot about what's happened the last start, or say the start of the season, and we're just, I suppose, anticipating what is to come. And of course, we're in the midst of now waiting to find out um, squad-wise, what we've got availability-wise. We know there's a slight concern over Richarlison. So we'll just see how we pan out with that. And I'm sure we'll get updates from Antonio ahead of Spurs. friendly, which we will be going to be covering here in last one on Spurs against Nice of next week. Lee? week, isn't it? It is next week. It is next week as we gear up for the return. We'll start with you, Lee, and you can uh, give Adam a a chance to summarise on what he feels the start of the season has been.
0: Yeah, I I wanted to get Adam's view, if I can, if if that's all right, before we get into the puzzle of the transfer. To ask you about spurs start to the season. Rich has mentioned they'll forget about the difficult start that we had. But we, we also had the best ever start to a Premier League season. I think most people actually forgot that. Uh, you know, points wise after the first 10-11 games, I think it was the highest we've ever had in the Premier League. But if it was offered to you three points by Man City when the season broke for the World Cup, most of would w- would have snapped our hands off for that. Um, you know, topping our Champions League group as well into the last 16. The fact that Arsenal top of the league is, you know, is a bit painful. But like I said last week, I think we can we can turn that gap around. Where do you think that we are at? You know, what's your come summary, if you like, of the season so far for Spurs? I, I think if, if you think back when the, the transfer
2: window closed, everyone was mega excited. They thought, right, like we're strong. And I remember having this conversation, you know, some people were saying we need another striker, not just Richarlison. And I was just like, you know what? We've got four strikers, if you include more of five. What are the chances of four of them being injured at the same time? Virtually none. And obviously, that's exactly what happened. You know,
0: and, up, you? Really no, and, you. Yeah,
2: yeah, and actually, I think, you know, I think, you know, we're three points behind City. We're, we, we've qualified for the Champions League. We haven't played well, particularly in, in a number of games. Actually, I don't think that's true. I think I think we've played well in the second half in a lot of games. I, I I don't buy into the opinion at all that Conte sets them out to be really defensive in the first half because in some of the games they've been absolutely appalling where they couldn't even make two passes and obviously he doesn't go out and say sit on the edge of your box and kick the ball aimlessly nowhere and don't try to pass to anyone. I just think there is a problem with how we start games for sure and then I think when we've played the Bigger teams, you know, Arsenal away, United away. We, you know, you can't come back when you go behind to good teams. I think the injury. I, I think for me, I, I've said this for a while. The injury to Kulusevski was the absolute most important. He's fundamental to how we play, yes. um, because he does two things. One, you can give him the ball anywhere, and he can carry it. Two, he's unbelievable with the ball. He he always makes the right pass and the right decision. And I think the other thing which he does do is when he plays, it means that Emerson doesn't attack. You know, and, and, and Emerson has been a massive problem for us. 100%. Because when Richarlison and Son play, they make inward runs and then Emerson ends up on the overlap. But actually, I think the first five or six games of the season, Emerson was much further back and actually playing okay defensively because all he was doing was giving the ball to Kulazewski. And then it was just like, right, you don't need to go forward now. So I think I think having him back will be a massive a massive improvement to the team and how we play and the dynamic of how we play. I also think, you know, I think, you know, people have been really critical of how we've played, but actually, you know, these guys have played so many games at a high level, Champions League, Premier League, Champions League. And you look at the teams that we've played away from home, we've played really hard games, loads of London derbies, big, big games and, you know, other big teams have got to play all those games away. So I think, when you look at all of that, I think we're in a good position. We've got players back fit and and so on. I think the break will be good for Conte, you know, in terms of like to reflect on things um, and you know, with the transfer window coming up, bring a couple of in, have have an impact like Benton Kerr and, and and and
0: I mean, imagine that
2: Kulisevsky did. So basically, we're winning the league,
0: is, is what I'm saying. Yes, 100. I I agree. J- just quickly pick up before, uh, obviously, Rick. Uh, I know you, you want me to shut up talking, but. Um, Ad, I just want to get your view on that that kind of Arsenal connection. You mentioned there about, you know, big, big games. We're playing in the Champions League every free game three days. If you look at Liverpool start of the season, Champions League, Chelsea start to the season, Champions League, Manchester City start to the season, we're only three points behind them, Champions League. Do, do you think it's a coincidence that the likes of Arsenal are top of the league, and they're doing really well, don't get me wrong, but they're not playing Champions League football. They can rest. A lot of their their players, if you like, and they have been rotating for the uh, you know, the you what is it, the Thursday night league, whatever it's yeah. called, um, but you know, the Europa League. So, so do, do you think that's had a factor in, in 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 moving out? And as that competition gets a bit more, um, uh, competitive, should we say, post break, that might change a little bit more as well? Yeah, I mean,
2: that, that they've been really good, you know, let's not mess about, they've been really good, um, but they, they had no injuries. You know, so actually they've had the ability to then rotate and, and and actually they've had the ability to rotate, you know, in the Europa because you sort of look at some of the teams they've played, you've not heard of them and they've literally rotated everybody. So that helps. And as well as that, because they've done quite well in a lot of games, they've been able to take people off early as well, give them a bit of a rest. You know, look at Kane. I think Kane came off once and he played every, literally every single game because everybody got injured. Mm-hmm. So he, it was impossible to rotate. And, and like you say, when you play in the Champions League, and we, we put ourselves in a bit of a position where we had to do well in all the rest of the game. So you almost couldn't rotate at all. Whereas in an ideal world, we've qualified early and then you know, been able to rotate. So, you know, Jesus is out now, you know, maybe a couple more injuries. It'll be interesting to see when they get a couple more injuries. You know, they don't like playing when it's cold either, Arsenal generally. So this time could be a bit tricky for them.
1: It, it we've we'll we got them
0: come up in a couple of weeks,
2: haven't we? Yeah, so, exactly.
1: Uh, yeah, precisely. It will be interesting to see ads, obviously, of course, with the upcoming January window, how that does affect the teams and the business that they may or may not do ahead of January upcoming for us. Now, as I said at the start of the show, we've had the pleasure to welcome your last one, Spurs, on a number of occasions. I mean, you specialise in working in the sport and entertainment industry. Your main client bank, including the Premier League footballers, you've got musicians, entertainers, as well as some rugby players and boxers as well. I mean, just for any new listeners and new viewers that we've had subsequently since you've last been on. Yeah. Just give us an insight into what you, again, specialise in that industry. And again, the the ability is to try and handle some of those real, I would would imagine quite tough characters at times.
2: Right. So, so I'm a financial planner. Um, I've been, I've been doing my job for about 22 years. For 15 years, I've been working in the sports space. So that, that, that sort of built that network of, of working with agents, clubs, um accountants and lawyers who specialize in that space and I I, I basically give them financial advice most of the introductions that I do come from you know the agents um and those other professional connections as well as that we do work um which we're going to touch on later like on a financial education um to to young sports people to clubs directly um to like the academies and the under 23s um Now, in terms of you know so that's what I do and basically I help them you know plan for the future and people will always think oh right well top end premier league footballers you know they've got loads of money but actually you know not all my clients are top end premier league footballers they don't all start like that some of them are kids 17 18 in the lower leagues or some of them might be championship players or some of them's you know income might have dropped off massively and they might have only had a few years of of good earnings so what 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 you try to do is get them into a position where when they finish football which you know it might be a 15 year career And within that 15 years, you might only have really good earnings for three or four years. And you're trying to actually then build them into a position where they've got enough money at 35, 36, 37 to hopefully help support them for the next 40, 50 years. So so everything that they do in their life, financially, personally, is very condensed into a really short space of time. So people think, oh, they earn millions. But you know, if you're a accountant or a lawyer, you'll earn more money over your career than a footballer would. They just get it in a really condensed period of time. Um, so you know, do I deal with tricky, ca- you know, how you deal with them is different to how you deal with normal business people. Um, you know, business, you know, you, you can you can manage your diary properly when you're dealing with business people, with with sports people, it's it's on a day-to-day basis, lots of WhatsApp, texts, phone calls. You know, diaries change all the time, depending on who they're playing, what their schedule is, whether they're home, whether they're away, whether they're injured, whether they've played badly and the manager gets them in for a double session. You know, Man City is a really interesting one. Pep gives Man City their schedule for the week after the game on the weekend. So trying to arrange to go to Manchester to see some of the players there is a nightmare because if they're playing on a Sunday, I'm like messaging them on a Sunday night, what's your schedule this week? Whereas Liverpool, they do their whole month. They have it all sort of nailed up, which is obviously much easier because then you can pretty much plan things. So there's a lot of that. And and just how you deal and speak to people is just slightly different to how you might deal with somebody who is a professional person or a business owner.
1: Fascinating stuff. They don't want to come back in there before I go and question ads next.
0: No, I mean, just literally it fascinates me how much just on that side goes into it that we yep. just don't even think about, it. you know, we're coming into yep. the transfer window and obviously talking about that, that transfer piece, but actually what you do add is, is, is amazing. Especially I, I, you know, I set up a business recruitment company called War Talent years and years ago, and it was about enabling early careers, people in, profession, in professional sales and that sort of stuff in business uh, to come in. So when you, when you're talking about looking after footballers, when they're 16, 17, 18, and they're coming in, they don't really know how to, how to utilize that money and it's not just financial, is it? It's just like that whole plan piece. I find that fascinating. And it's and it's it's weird. When you talk about that condensed bit, we'll just go, Oh yeah, they're they're multi millionaires, but actually over the duration, what was a footballer fair lucky? What's Modric, 37 is he? Or, yeah, you know, it's thirty-three. Yeah. So you I mean, know you can you can if you look at
2: Modric, you know, you can you can list on your hand how many players have played at the top of the Premier League or the top of their game for 15, 20 years. It's not a lot. Yeah. You know, most of them have like, it's yep. a short period of time. You know, the elite do, um, but, you know, it, it, it is a short number of people, you know. I and, But there are really, you know, I, I spoke to a client yesterday and he, he's 34 in the final year of his contract. He's playing in League two now. Um, and he's just done his ACL. Is he's done all of his knee, wow. so he doesn't know what's going on. And he was, he was, uh, you know, four or five years ago playing for Brentford in the in the Championship. He was their best player, and he'd agreed a move um, to a Premier League club. It'd been agreed, two games to go before the end of the season. Someone did a horrible tackle. He broke his leg in two places. Oh, no yeah, way. And that and that was life changing.
0: Yeah, you know, that was
2: like going from X to Premier League money, not the so, Premier League money now. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then you know that never happened. So it's not always about multimillionaires. And for him, it's you know like I'm I'm quite close to him. We spoke on the phone yesterday. I've only I've worked with him for ten years, and you know he's sort of like we're, we're sort of friends. And you feel their pain when they go
0: through these really horrible times. And it's a human side, isn't it? It's a human side of of football which a lot of again especially at premier league, I, I think that example is brilliant Champ, ch- championship or league one league two they're not obviously going to be high uh earning as much as you know the top elite footballers and actually everybody as you mentioned earlier people even in the premier league are not earning some of the money that is banded about that we all think that they are you just think oh premier league oh they must be on underground a week but that's that's yeah. obviously not the case as well is it like it's they are still a, a kind of a, a, a you know a minority should we say
2: Yeah, look, it's great money, don't get me wrong. Like, You know, if you're only 40, 50 grand a week, it's mega money. But what you'll see is the people that are on that money will generally be mid to lower end Premier League players. Therefore, they might have come up from the Championship, have been promoted, or they might have done well in their career. And now they're in their peak earnings in that four to six year period. So you have that four to six year period to try to maximise what they're going to do. That could be buying their family home that they want to live in for the rest of their life paying off a mortgage they might have a mortgage over like five years so i see people paying 20 30 40 grand a month on a mortgage and then you know all, all the other things and then as well as that you know you have a wife and maybe children looking after them and making sure that when you stop playing you're, you're financially
0: okay and, and also just just to add uh, with with uh, the, um, the example you gave earlier if and this can happen at any given moment if a, a, a career engine ending injury comes in or you bust your ACR. I've done mine twice, not that I'm a professional footballer and ever been good enough to be one, but I understand the injury I've done it twice. If you bust your ACR, you're done for the season. So, what yeah. does that mean? Does the club, you know, people talk about players are ruthless, but clubs are also ruthless, right? They can also yeah. say, you know what, we're now not going to renew your contract. I, you I, I have a client. I have a client who, who's playing in the
2: championship. He's been captain of his team for about seven or eight years. And he did. He did his. He did his ACL back end of last year. They haven't renewed his contract.
0: No way. It's yeah, and so
2: you're bad. like, you know, and it's like, well, you know, where's where's the, you know, where's the loyalty there? Yeah. Is yeah. there yep. loyalty there? You know, there is that side of thing. There is, j- j- just on the injury side, there's there's a specific injury called career ending insurance, which is basically a lump sum oh, payout yeah, if, if you're in, your career has to be finished where you can't play football again to get that yeah. lump sum pay yeah. If you do have a contract, England is, is or the UK is quite a good place in terms of getting paid continuously. So um, in Italy, for example, um, you're, you're only covered for six months salary. Wow. So if you've got long term injury, they can terminate the contract or reduce it by 50%. In Germany, you only get paid for six weeks by the wow. club. Um, um, so there's a different insurance you need there. In England, the club continues to pay you effectively. Um, it, it's, it's, it's sort of eighteen months to two years, and then they can pay you up if they wanted to.
0: It might, be obvious, it might be an obvious question to some people, but does that then mean like? And I know we're getting into the kind of the transfer bit already, but does that then mean when a player is considering a, a contract for a new club? Then it's also considerations would be going through their mind, wouldn't they? Because if I think about it, if I was a player with my family, I've got you know, I've got a wife, I've got three daughters, all, all of the things you've just talked about, house, whatever. I'd be thinking, well, hang on. If I go to Italy or if I go to Germany and I get injured, I'm only getting my salary for six for six weeks. Whereas actually in England, I'm getting it paid out. Type yeah. things. That's a consideration, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that is
2: also why you know when people talk about loyalty in football. If you you know, people always state in football, you might only get one chance to make a move, you know, not, not again, not always at the top, top elite level, yeah. but you know, if you are a top end championship player and you're a striker and you're scoring goals and a Premier League club comes into you, you've got to go because ones if you get injured, ones if you don't hit form next season, the money that you could get could be life changing for you and your family for the rest of your life. If you yeah. turn it down now, if, anything can happen and I I just gave that example so people expect loyalty and I understand that on both sides from a club and and a player but also people need to take a step back and think you know what it's a life-changing opportunity potentially what you know you've got to take these opportunities people talk about Graham Potter as an example you know going from Brighton to Chelsea you know it's like these are maybe once in a lifetime opportunities and you, you you need to you, you know if you're ambitious and and financially you need to look after yourself and think about these things because they may not come around again.
1: I, I I think I, this is again a, a prime example of why we love having you on last one on Spurs because this kind of conversation does not come up for us unfortunately on a post-match analysis show. Or I think again it gives like an insight into like I say when it does come to an upcoming transfer window. You know it's not just about going from you know A to B. There is so much to factor into a transfer you know, like you have just said there, for a player, for a club, whoever it may be, so many definitive factors. But I'm going to strip it right back if you don't mind. Um, you know, we are living in a world <coughs> now where there's substantial media contracts representing the majority of the income for clubs in the biggest European leagues. And in most cases, that kind of dwarfs other commercial revenue. You know, some clubs, they have exceptionally wealthy owners, even through outright private means or in the shapes of various financial intensities, such as hedge funds, private equity, or even national sovereign wealth funds like we've seen We've obviously Newcastle now being represented by Saudi Arabia to some degree. Um, now, that often, of course, bolsters the transfer spending in an effort to really fast-track a cup of success. You may arguably say Newcastle are going to get there quicker than arguably Chelsea even did under Abramovich by the speed they're going there to some degree. But um, it does seem still at the moment that the top European side, such as the Barcelonas, they are still spending really, really big. But UEFA's financial fair play is designed to try and level that playing field where we understand it to be. So a very basic question really to start on this aspect is, where does that money come from? And why are clubs still able to spend millions to sign a player?
2: So so, so if you look at like, you know, like PSG and, and Man City, the, the Premier League clubs have tried to stop what they did. So with financial fair play, you're meant to sort of work and spend within your means and so on. And, and, and what those clubs did was they ba- basically announced massive um sponsorship of the stadiums and what that massive sponsorship of the stadiums allowed them to do was then to spend significantly more money on transfers and ultimately it was the owners of the club putting the money into the club in a different way they've tried to stop that with newcastle and those large sponsorship deals but effectively that's how the money came in the other way you know the tv money so what what you have there is when sky come in um, and do these massive deals of X pounds over a number of years, one, the clubs, what often happens is they forward spend that money. If you're in the Premier League, you gamble. If, if the Sky deal is a five-year deal and you're getting, I, I don't know what the numbers are, 10 billion a year over, over five years, clubs can sort of forward spend that money by borrowing. So you can actually borrow against the TV revenue. And that's where you see clubs getting into trouble in the past, actually, Is where maybe a club might gamble on being in the premier league spend a load of money and actually what they've done is they've borrowed the tv money in advance of getting it because it's effectively like a mortgage spent it spent it badly gone got relegated and then they're in sort of serious financial trouble so spurs's model is to you know is to try to obviously spend the tv money and then you know use it from the from the money that they generate on on match days and so on and work within the business what other clubs have done in the past again is they've i think rangers did it years ago is they they borrowed against their ticket their season ticket sales which again it you know is, is a very dangerous thing to do if you get into financial trouble so that's where the money comes from most of it is tv most of it is money that's been put in most of it is transfer money um, and revenues that the clubs generate and spurs specifically have tried to generate most of their money um, you know, from from the stadium, effectively, and sponsorship and other events and so on, because they don't effectively have that money tree of 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 that owner pumping billions in.
0: I suppose that's where the game changers come from, isn't it, with the new stadium and all that sort of stuff as well. Like, you know, we've got boxing events there. We've got, you know, the, um you know the the all of the big music stuff that we've been going on, the entertainment, all that sort of stuff as well. I just yeah, want to exactly. Get that. Adam, your, your take on the transfer window. Everyone knows how the mechanics of a transfer window looks like from the outside. But essentially, are you, you know, there's, there's a summer window and a winter window. And ultimately, most most um, most football clubs will um, see where they are mid-season and then go again in January to replace injured players or whatever, you know, if they're going to push for the, Title hopefully, Spurs fans, um, or you know, like get out of relegation or whatever. Are you a fan of essentially two windows during that season? Are you a fan generally of the, the transfer window, Adam?
2: Um, well, I think if you think back to what it was before, where you could just buy people at any point, I think actually having a window is, is, is probably fine. The only thing they probably need to change, which they did try and change and then didn't change, was the end, the date in which it ends in the summer, especially. Um, because it goes into the season but it's a problem with europe and another you know so if they could sort that out I think it would be fine um I think the January window is fine as well you, you know you know what it is I don't think there's a problem having a bit of a bit of a period at different time we're almost at a point now where there's so much posturing though like sort of two things happen don't they like loads of deals get done early and those deals get done early because they've been done already in advance um and it's just sort of finishing those <clears throat> Or what happens in January, especially, is everything gets left until the last minute, and people don't. Or people think, "Oh, yeah, everyone's leaving it to the last minute." But often it's a bit like um when you buy a house, and you're in a chain. The club might say, "Well, okay, we're going to buy that, but we'll sell you that person. We've got to find a replacement." So they've got to go and trundle off and find their replacement, and then the club above it might have to, and so on. Sorry, I've got a bit of a tickly cough um so eventually there might be you know one club where you can give them enough money to that actually they think okay we're, we're just going to bank that money and spend it in the summer and that's almost like the top of your housing chain and what happens in January because it's quite condensed is everyone sort of like rushes around you know trying to do these deals late and then if one it's the same in the house buying process if one one part of the chain falls through the whole deal can fall through and often people are going oh especially with Spurs, ah, oh, it's Levy, he's not spending yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. But, you know, I, I know of one of the deals in the summer where, you know, it had been agreed with the player, you know, months in advance, but Spurs and and, and, and the club were haggling over the amount to pay structure of the deal, who pays interest on the transfer fee, like some really right. like weird, right. you know, crazy right. things that you don't think about because you're paying yeah. the money over a certain number of years. Is there interest on the payments? Who's paying it? numbers change they pull things out how much is guaranteed up front and how much is in installments
0: based on certain things and so on it's interesting just just on that uh, before before uh, we we, we crack on Rick, is that that that's the that's the thing that fascinates me the most about kind of putting these these transfers together it's not simply i want to buy by the way i do want to buy bastoni right but i want to get bastoni or guardia into the into the left center back position Let's go and put 80 million down to get Guardiola or 60 million down to get Bastoni and that, you know, offer him 150 grand a pay him what he wants, whatever it is. And then it's done because all them other factors you have to take into consideration. When, like you say, when you, you've got kind of a four week window to, that process surely can't start on the 1st of January. No. It, it must've started ages ago. Right. So that's why sometimes one of our own uh, jamie from the daily oxbow he he, uh, uh, he he put out a tweet about transfer i forgot i can't even remember what it is it's so many goes out but it was one guy that we've potentially been looking at since 2019 and i'm like pratici and Conte weren't even at the club in 2019 how are we gonna sign this guy like they probably don't even like him or want him is this is this fake news whatever but it's it's so it's so complicated that they probably are having tabs on it for that long aren't they you know, you'd have you'd have you know
2: you'd have scouts that are looking at players, and then there'll be like a database of players that they're monitoring, and then they probably don't want to do what they did with a few transfers, like you know where where they bought you know Ndombele and Donnabelle and a off the back of one good season, but actually you're looking for like consistent performance over a number of years, and then you're monitoring them, seeing how they progress and and and, and so on. But you know they take ages, and the Bastoni one, you know, there were loads of factors in that one. You know, firstly he didn't want to leave. You know, so, you know, you can lump enough money up to somebody where, but but, but frankly, you know, some people don't want to leave where they are. That's a fact. The other one is Inter might have said, well, actually, you know, if he leaves, we only want to buy these three players to replace him and maybe none of them are available. They couldn't afford them. So there's, you know, it's not always, oh yeah, pay the money and pay the money and it's done. It, It will be pay the money if you pay stupid money over the top for somebody. But, you know, that's not going to happen with Spurs. Yeah. And, it, and it doesn't always happen. It's happening less so now, I think, with financial fair play. City don't necessarily go crazy on transfer fees. Um, so, yeah, there's loads of factors involved, you know,
0: not, not to only to the transfer. Fair, to, to, to interact with your city, to be fair, they don't tend to. I mean, I think they, I remember Kevin De Bruyne was only, he was sub 70 million, wasn't he, at the time, or 62 million, or, and I think he was yeah. his record transfer, for, yeah. Jack really now 100 million, but. So if Jack, Dr- but Jack Grealish was his release clause, so they paid the release, release clause. clause. Yeah, they yeah. paid. Mean, yeah. You look at you look at um, even Ruben Diaz, you know, brilliant defender, massively expensive. I mean Alvarez, who uh, I've got you guys talking about in the green room earlier, amazing. Got, uh, before, amazing player. He's almost been picked up out, out of the radar. He wasn't a yeah. hundred million pound player either, was he? So it's quite no, interesting. They sold quite a few, you know. They
2: sold Zinchenko. They sold Sterling. They sold, I think, another player. They sold a couple of others, didn't they? In the well, summer, they sold
1: Jesus, well. didn't they? Of course, Jesus as well. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they sold. That's
2: they cool. sold quite a few players to like recruit, recruit that money. Um So yeah, I, I'm, I'm. I'm not. I mean, obviously, Chelsea. did Chelsea spent a lot, a lot of money. um I'm not quite sure how, but, but they sold players as well over years. And also, it depends on, on how you structure the deal. So, you know, often, you know, you might see a £100 million transfer, but it could be £25 million up front and then £25 million over over the next three years. So, so actually, from a financial fair play point of view, that doesn't go through the books as £100 million. It goes through as, like, the initial amount. Um, and then you could sell that player over two years. And I think people didn't always think that about you know Undombele and liselso as examples with us what we paid for him you might have got some transfer money back and actually <clears throat> by the time you sell them for half what you paid for them add in what you've got in loan fees your losses only may be you know 25% of what you originally paid for them mm-hmm. so you haven't paid money but actually on the books they amortize the value down as a depreciating asset anyway
1: yeah, I tell yeah, you, know. it's absolutely fascinating stuff. It really, really is. What we all do is we all know for our first break of the show, uh, for our listeners and audio. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No prohibited by law, plus, starts the conditions apply. See website for details.
0: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: For those that are watching live and for those that, of course, are tuning in, listening back to this show, we're joining my wonderful Adam Ospar from Sports Finance, giving you some injection ahead of the January transfer window into the puzzle behind what makes a transfer. And it's always fascinating to bring Adam on here. I mean, as we've discussed, transfers are now definitely 100% a central component of football. It's almost become a takeover of football in general because of how much people love the transfer window. There's obviously huge Fees being exchanged between both clubs, and we know transfers can happen in a variety of different ways. I think what people are maybe keen to know and understand is how and at what point in the process are the respective people, the entities, the representatives paid in the role of a transfer? You had to give us a bit of insight into that.
2: So, so, so in, in, its, in its most simplistic form, you've got um, one club goes to another club, they agree a fee to buy a player, and then the player's agent. Then negotiates with the buying club on the contract, and that agent will then get paid. Um, it's normally always based on the contract value, not the transfer fee. You know, you, you see that these odd occasions. I think you saw it quite a lot with um, uh, Riola, who's who obviously passed away, where he would get specific clauses written in, and you can do that in certain situations in 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 Europe. You can you can't do that in England. Um, where, where the agent gets paid on a transfer fee specifically. So then what, what you would have is, you know, somebody has a contract of, you know, two and a half million over, you know, per, you know per year for four years, so 10 million, and then the agent will get paid a percentage of that. Normally it's anywhere between sort of three to five percent. Um, and that can get paid, you know, as a lump sum up front, you know, a reduced amount, or it gets paid over the term of the contract. And then the footballer that goes down as a P11 deal on his, on his pay slip and he pays the tax on that. Where it becomes complicated, which is what you see more of, it, you know, with foreign players is what you might have is you might have a club that says, right, we, we would like to have, again, you know, let, let's take Spurs, let Kulazewski. So what you might have is you might have Spurs might say, Daniel Levy might say, right, to an agent, go and speak to Juventus on our behalf, because you speak Italian and you know the club and so on. So the agent will go and speak to the club. The club will have an agent that Juventus would have had, could have had a club that they then instructed. So then you've got two agents negotiating. The selling club is trying to negotiate the price up. So normally what Juventus would say in that situation is they say, right, we want 25 million for him. Anything you get above that is yours. So you're because you're basically selling and that's your bonus right so if you get 30 million you get 5 million because we've got us 25 whatever it might be so something like that and then on the flip side you've got the selling the agent working for spurs who's trying to get that price down right um, and then they're getting paid accordingly for that and then they negotiate on behalf of the club um with the player agent so then what you might have is if you've got a foreign agent the foreign agent might be a foreign person so he might have a contact in the uk that he works with on uk transfer deals into the uk so that's four different agents in that deal wow. that I've just oh, yeah and, and that's fascinating can happen. stuff
0: fascinating yeah. crazy but what, i mean but what's, what's interesting that then? so just on that example if we've got the the buying club and the selling club both have an agent and they're talking to each other it could be i'm being a bit i suppose facetious a little bit here but a bit naughty but it could be that because the selling club is given the 5 million pound bonus to say it's Ricky and the and the buying club is kind of um going to pay the or the agent's fee is going to come based on the length of contract adam so adam and ricky you you two could be talking about what you're getting in order to yep. make that deal happen nothing yeah. to do with the clubs or the player which Absolutely. is bad, isn't it
2: yeah, and then you've seen situations before where you know you've seen Spurs and other clubs walk away from deals because it's you know there's been too many agents involved, wanting too many deals, and and you know that not might not be that they're doing anything bad. It could just be that the it's situation the caution, is right? that there's just loads of people that that, that need paying, and actually you think well, it's not really worth that because we can get this player on our list, and there's only one agent involved, so we're yeah. paying you know, millions of pounds less in agency fees. And that doesn't mean, again, you know, not, this isn't a negative on agents. It's just, you know, it, it it's it is. Yeah. brokers yeah. and negotiations. And sometimes it's absolutely fine. And sometimes it's necessary because, you know, you know, if you take Spurs, again, you can't have Daniel Levy, the person negotiating with, you know, Juventus. And it could be that Paratici is, and then he has agents because, and, and, and so on. So it can become complex when there's lots of different people
1: involved. You've just so given us that. Yeah. I uh, no, maybe. Agree. Uh, it's mad, as you just kind of given us there the, the real kind of complexity around what even forms a transfer, and that's why again this kind of next point is that you know when a club is normally interested in signing a player, you have the re- you have the representative of that club will go and make an official inquiry to find number one of the players available. Then normally a bid will be lodged. Now we we have seen over the course of the last twenty years and so in the Premier League where players have taken it maybe upon themselves to try and engineer a move. I mean one that I know. Still is uh, fascinating for some, of course, is on wingy where he sat outside the training ground um, yeah. to try and get his move on deadline day. And we've had situations, of course, like Spurs, where Berbatov took a plane unauthorised from Tottenham over to Old Trafford to force a move. I, I just wonder now, kind of when you look in hindsight, you know, you must have come across times in obviously your career as well, where maybe potentially you've had players that have tried to... Force a move or engineer a move to try and accelerate that process. Um, are you in favour of that? Can you understand why players would do that to go outside the normal process?
2: Yeah. So, you go, again, like go back to what I said at the beginning. You've got one opportunity, you know, one chance. You know, take Berbatoff as an example. You know, Berbatoff was an unbelievable player. He had the opportunity to, you know, and I, you know, obviously I was gutted he left, but you know, he was one of the best players in the Premier League. You've got the opportunity to go to Manchester United under Alex Ferguson, where you're almost guaranteed to win the league or challenge for the league and possibly the Champions League. So it's the absolute pinnacle under one of the greatest managers of all time. I'm not quite sure how old Berbatov was when he left us. He must have been maybe 27, possibly 26, 27. So if you're getting a four-year deal, that's your career there. You're not going to get that chance again. Yeah. You're not going to get that if you're 27 and Alex Ferguson comes after you. and You don't. It's a bit like the Kane situation. You know, it's like, you know, it, it's now or never. You know, you don't go. You don't. You turn down. You turn down Man United. You know. You know to stay at Spurs. Uh, you know, Martin O'Neill got sacked the next season. You're mid-table. You're never going to get yeah. a move to Man United again. You know, or you're thinking, well, actually, this is the chance to play for the best team in the world, or you know, whatever it might be. I've, I've got to make this happen because it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah.
1: Can I ask you, just before Lee comes back in there, you just touched upon Harry. I have to ask you that, that psychologically for Harry at that time of when Spurs are appointing Nuno and Harry clearly has got the ambition to want to go to the very top to win the best honors there are in the game and City is sniffing. Maybe just to kind of, again, you you will share sympathy at, at, of a player because obviously where you've been around and managing them to some degree, they day in terms of finances, you'll understand... Not just the winning of trophies, but also the financial elements to a club like City being linked to a player. Yeah, just I maybe how difficult is that for a player to refocus themselves and the way Kane has done that at Tottenham when City were looking, they were so strong for him at one point. Um I
2: think it depends on the person. You know, I, th- I think it depends on the person and the personality. I think it's like anything in life. You've got, you know, in, in, in everyone's work, you've got people when things don't go well. They'll sulk and moan about it for months on end, and then you've got people that. Well, it's true that it's right. I'm one of those people. Um, And and then you've got, then you'll get people that will just get on with it. They'll say, "Right, it's done now. Nothing I can do about it. I need to move on." And I think Kane is probably that type of person. Um, You know, I think the Kane situation was handled handled badly. You know, by his representatives. Frankly, I think when you look at transfers. With the agents that I know quite well, nothing that ever gets done doesn't get done, you know, without the approval of the player, Um and you know that it, it would have been discussed. You know that situation was handled badly if, for whatever reason, Um but I, you know, I, I think I, I think I was on this pod at the time. We spoke about it, and I said I, I, yeah. I totally understood why he wanted to go.
0: Yeah, he did. You yeah. did. Again, I know we're going off piece, but this conversation is riveting for me, and and especially around Kane because. He's now 18 months left on his contract, uh, I think, uh, come January. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's said in the past that he's looking for assurances, um, you know, especially after that debacle uh, for, about, about Nuno and all that stuff that you got, we just talked about. We've well, obviously got Antonio Conte there, whose contract essentially runs out at the end in June. And we know that we've got the, the Spurs have got that kind of clause that they can evoke at any, at any time without. Conte agreeing to it because he's already in the contract so we, then we can get in another year. And again, might be an, a, a, an obvious question to add, but th- does that mean that, in your opinion, from a player's perspective, Kane's looking to see what the landscape looks like now before committing to anything? Or or is that ship sailed? Like you talked about the Burbas thing with Manchester United. Where's Kane going to go? Because he ain't going to City now. He can't seem to want to go Man United anyway. Liverpool are yeah. going to take, uh, pick him up. Potentially Chelsea. There's no chance of going to go Arsenal. So he's in a fantastic club in the Premier League. Yeah, right. I mean... And yeah. then Bayern Munich is not in the Premier League, is it? And then he's not going to beat Shearer's record. So does that mean he's kind of... That, that ship sailed a little bit? The, the, the
2: bit that I'm not clear on is how important... And I think fans get a bit more caught up on this about records... You know, in you mentioned Bayern Munich as an example. If you said to Kane, right, you've got a chance to win, you know, the Bundesliga, which everyone can say isn't a great league, but it is a league, and potentially the Champions League, or break Alan Shearer's record, or be Spurs' top goal scorer, he will take that. He will he will take winning. You know, he's not I remember having this debate where people say well he can be a Spurs legend and our greatest ever goal scorer. Okay he could be Spurs' second greatest ever goal scorer and win the league in the Premier League somewhere. He would rather I mean, that would definitely be a better option for him. Um so you, you, yeah, so has that shift set I don't I don't know but I think I, I do I think it's an interesting one. And you do wonder whether part of the tying Conte down is linked to tying Kane down because like you say, you know if we if Conte says right I'm signing for like two more years then actually he's bought into Spurs Everybody knows how much control he has, and therefore Kane might commit. If Conte says, "I'm not doing anything until the end of the season, and then I'm going to decide again," I think you'll see a similar situation with Kane, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I, do, but I do. I do also think you know it could be that actually Kane's representatives turn around and say, well, "Do you know what, Harry? You know, Bayern Munich aren't interested, and there's no one in the Prem, so actually, you know, your best option is to is to stay." It, it'll be interesting, actually, somebody said to me on, you know, on the weekend, it'll be interesting to see whether not having the success with England and, 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 and going out of the World Cup, where maybe we thought we could win it, changes his view to want to go. I don't know. That's just what somebody said. Somebody said, look, because he might have thought i win the World Cup or well, great chance of winning it. That's gone now. He may, na- may not play in another World Cup. Does that make him say, actually, well, I'm going to try to push harder for club honours somewhere else or, or here?
0: Yeah. Uh it's really again fascinating. It's hard because he's twenty-nine now and he go he, he signs a five year contract somewhere that takes him up to thirty-four. He, he's probably one of these players that plays like a modric, but a handful yes. of maybe up to 36, 37 of Ronaldo type, messy, whatever. But actually, this is his next big contract, isn't it? Is is now. And the club's in a situation where if we if we let it go any further you're going to get a situation where he's going to be in the last kind of year of his contract, six months, and go, well, I'm as well going to free. And then he's got anywhere that he can go. And then we've lost one of our greatest ever. I mean, he's only yeah. six goals behind me, so he's going to break that this season. So that, that will be yeah. done. He will be our greatest ever goal scorer. It's yeah. just whether he wants to stay in the Premier League to get another 70-odd goals or whatever it end up being to, to hit Shearer. Yeah. Fascinating, Good. mate. Uh, scary, really. But also, you know, you know, do, do we let that, that player go? And reinvest the money somewhere because, you know, Liverpool did that with Coutinho and we've banged on about that for so many times and they ended up winning the Champions League and the Premier League and the, you know, all the Cups won everything, didn't they? So it's yeah. very difficult to, to, to judge.
1: Yeah.
2: stuff. No, I think there's more, uh, you, know, you know, when you talk about banking the money that Kane would get, I, th- I think we're probably in a sort of position now where actually you don't have to bank that money off him because we've got enough players in our squad that you could sell to get 100 million in, you know, when you go through, like, the ones that don't get on, like people like Sanchez and all those types of yeah, players. Yeah, that's true. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: that's true. What is fascinating as I'll, I'll try and tie these two into one and then Leo will ask you about agents. I think it's always a fascinating topic. Um, I mean, I think there's always that kind of that feeling that normally deals are you say are, are done rushed for a reason for some particular reason but sometimes you know you do find that negotiations are done way 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 in advance of any deal whether that's January whether it's the summer there is that element that I'd be keen to ask you and how you feel those transfers are negotiating kind of time frame and then yeah from from your perspective do you, do you have a view on on the on the time frame of a transfer it, it, are they done fairly quickly or is it all dependent on the situation in that given moment
2: it can be and you know, it can be both basically. I mean, if you look at, you know, Perisic as an example for Spurs, I don't doubt that wasn't done ages before. You know, it, and, and, and that just shows the nonsense that's in the media because they're like, Oh yeah, Conte's gonna go on holiday and think things over, and he goes away, and then five minutes later he agrees he's staying in Perisic signs. I mean, that was obviously like a complete smokescreen, and then they signed a couple yeah. of other players, Pasuma and so on. So Obviously, they would have been ongoing. What you'd probably have is you'd probably have the agent of the player. So this is also where where things where I don't believe, where sometimes you read stuff like Spurs have agreed a fee, but the players turn them down. I don't think that happens because I think generally the club will know if the player is going to come. You might be negotiating and talking and then you go, right, forget it. No one's interested. You're not offering enough and the player doesn't really want to go. But you don't really go hard for a player. If, 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 if you, know, you know, without knowing that there's an interest and i've seen in the past with people i've worked with where a few years ago i saw a client where they'd agreed with the player the deal um in may you know they, they'd agreed the contract um, and then the clubs did negotiate and it fell down on deadline day because everybody left it posturing until the last until really late but both clubs did so i would say normally the player side of things is almost agreed in principle. And then the clubs will negotiate. And, and like I said, there are so many different variances to like the negotiation of the transfer. It could be the amount. It could be how much is paid up front. It could be you agree the amount and how much is up front. And then what's the instalments? Are they guaranteed instalments? Are they based on performance? Are they based on winning stuff? Are they paid all in one year one? And it's those things that actually sort of like, that, that go backwards and forwards. You might email somebody the deal. They might not reply to you for five days as an example, you know, so then you can't do anything and they reject it. And then you go, okay, let's think about it. We're going to have another board meeting and, and, and so on. And then with the pa- player contract stuff, sort of so 80% of the, you know, a Premier League contract or football or football contract is, is standardized stuff. You know, then there's just stuff around payments, which is how much they get paid, what's in bonuses, how they're structured. And bonuses can vary on different things. It can be winning things, which are almost standardised, but it could be if you've got a young player going to a club when the contract's renegotiated, does their money go up over a certain number of appearances? What if they play for England? And Lots of different things like that then go into it. And then if there's image rights that's linked to it, that's a completely separate contract. And then you've got to agree that the amount that's going to go in there and all of the information specifically around that image rights deal, sponsorship, opportunities and so on. And then you might have to even get a company set up for that image rights.
0: And there you go. Whenever you bring up image rights, we all think, oh, we could have had Dabala. Yeah, yeah. I, think yeah. I, I think
2: I told you about the Dabala one. I'm sure yeah. basically his, his image, yeah. his image yeah. rights were set up and held by basically his old agent as the sole director of the company. So yeah. he had no right. control over
0: it. Yeah, no, yes, you, you, right. did, you did tell us that before. Um, a football agent, we talked about these earlier, you know, in, in terms of the actual role of an agent, re- representing the general interest of a player, but specifically when it comes to kind of issues around contract negotiations and that type of stuff. Um, you, you, know, you mentioned earlier, Mino Raiola, who's, who's obviously passed, and, and, and George Mendez as well. Famous examples of football agents. They've kind of reputations of a fast portfolio, famous people famous footballers elite footballers they are the kind of a super agent if you like but they do tend to get quite a lot of negative press uh, Adam in your view what's your thoughts on them being involved in transfers in the world of football and, and just touch on upon that a little bit more it's like because the it's, fans, it's not just about that negativity side of things isn't it they obviously are there to do some really good
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, I
0: suppose in the years that I've been working
2: in sport, I've seen the role of an agent change from the old school type of Eric Hall type agents that you hear about to actually some really top professional people. All of the agents that I know and I work with are good professional businessmen. Their job is to look after their client. But there are millions of things outside of a transfer that they do. You know, you might have an 18 year old kid. Some of them take them to training, help them get boots help their families out you know get them out of trouble if they get into speeding tickets get into if they get into trouble with the police if they have any marital problems they make sure that they there's all of those things houses all that
0: sort of stuff yeah
2: i mean that's the point where they would actually bring me in to help on that side of things but then i'm talking to them on that they'll be involved in the accountant and, and so there's all of the stuff that they do off the field you know, if they've come over from abroad, making sure there's family settled, you know, sometimes if they're foreign, you know, they'll have somebody in the office that, that helps them with their bills and getting all of those things set up because it's a new country, banking, all of those things. And then what you might have is that player that could then leave you and go to another agent. And you've done all that work for them for like two or three years and then they go to another agency. So it's a very cutthroat business and it can be quite, quite a brutal business. So there's lots of stuff that they do as well as the negotiation of the contract. And their job is to get the best contract for their players. One of the biggest agents I work with, some of the contracts I've seen are unbelievable. And I'm like, wow. I say to him as a joke, I said, you could probably get me a contract somewhere um, on, <laughs> on good money because he does a fantastic job. And, you know, riola is a great example. His clients adored him, absolutely yeah. loved him, all of them. You know, because he did he did an amazing job for them. Yes, he was this. He would put himself out as the bad guy publicly, but all of these guys loved him because he
1: was great. I, job. Just want I hand back to Lee. Where, where does that negative connotation come from, Mads? Do you think it's the Do you think it's the clubs that are forcing that down the chain for fans to feel that way, or or is it a case because, like you said, there? I mean, the players adore some of these agents and super agents out there because they get them to the move. They obviously, for them, it's integral to obviously their wealth. Then in later in life, like you look at Ronaldo's career and what he's been able to achieve and earn and wherever he goes on to next, you know, he's set for, almost for life, you'd feel. So where did that negative connotation come from well, for you, Ads?
2: Well, there, you know, there are a couple of sides to it. Like any industry, there are some really good people and then there are some not so good people. So there will be some unprofessional, unscrupulous agents who will be. Having their best interests at heart and trying to line their own pockets and not think about the player and the club. And you've seen situations where people have, you know, situations where, you know, an agent has sold a house to one of his clients and he's taken a cut. So he's made the player pay more money and he's taken a cut for him. Things like that that used to happen in the olden days. So there is that side of things. There's also the side of things that, you know, and you see it now, you know, when, whenever a player leaves, it's always the agent trying to do the move and all of these types of things. And so there's the fan side of it, that, which is us, which is, oh, my God, that agent's taking Kane away from Spurs as an example. And they try to find a full guy and it's always the agent. But it's interesting when a club wants rid of you. No one cares about the agent at that point. If The club doesn't want you anymore. You're out the door. And all the fans are like good riddance to him. He's rubbish. That then then it's okay to get rid of them. Um, and then I suppose the other side is, you know, it's the money that they get paid, but everyone's like, well, it should go back into grassroots and so on. But that's the nature of the industry. It's a regulatory point as to how much they get paid for the contract, and it's in there. And the contracts are big numbers because get footballers get paid a lot of money. Um, but again, you know, I know some agents that that, that did in the lower leagues, and they, they don't earn great money. They're scrapping around trying to earn a living, trying to do a good job. And often you've got other people trying to poach your clients all the time. Yeah,
0: That's fascinating that. stuff, mate. It's, it, again, it's, it just brings it brings that kind of that realist that realism to the situation. Like it's not FIFA, right? You're not playing, you know, FIFA on your PlayStation or whatever. Or, or, you know, your other devices are available. Of course, consoles are available, but it is that, that real <laughs> life of you know. What I mean, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Look, the, the final hurdles in the deal are the medical for some players, work permit, medicals or top level clubs are very stringent, carried out training grounds or hospitals around, you know, the, in, in the capital cities where they are. Work permits need players over the age of 16 that can't work or haven't got an EU passport. Lots of different things that we, we, we're talking about there. Um the EFA will grant a work permit if the players has paid 75% of competitive games and FIFA ranked to 70 nations. You've also got all of the things about homegrown players from a uh, from a club perspective that have got, you know, go into there when, when we making the transfer happen. So um, I, I, I suppose where, where a player has failed a medical or can't agree a work permit and that type of stuff, how mentally damaging, um, Adam, could that be for a player? If they, you know, about, you know, it's a little bit like we said earlier about a house chain. You've been in the house chain for months. Yes, we're going to move, and then it falls through. Yeah, it's got to have an aspect mentally, isn't it, on the player, no?
2: Yeah, it's brutal, and I think that's where you know deadline day is. You know, is that that's where it's brutal because sometimes you might have agreed that deal, and then it's like right, get ready to drive down here for this, and 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 and, and so on, and we'll try and get things done. I know one club that that on purpose one 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 window filed the form to the FA at one minute past midnight on purpose. You know, and you know, it that, you know, and people don't realise those types of things do actually go on with clubs. And it's like you're, you know, some sometimes these players like they're treated like car horses. Like get in the car, go down the motorway, no, come back now, we've not agreed the fee. And all of those and it is and and that's why when you talk about the loyalty, you're like, don't always see that there's not there's no loyalty on, on both sides in many cases. Um, but I think, you know, it comes back to that point about not getting a move. You know, I think ultimately you can you can complain about it, and moan about it, or you've just got to try and get your head down and get on with it in the same in any type of job, really. But it, it it obviously will affect you if you are being sort of shipped around like that. And that is probably the biggest negative of a transfer window is that really late stuff where people don't quite know where they are and they are in limbo. And then there's this mad rush to try to get things sorted.
1: Well, i got to say, it, it's a fascinating hour. I mean, I, I always feel when I come away from a show with you, I learn so much. Totally. And that's why we always feel like we have to get you back. I'm sure you agree, mate. It's been a real fascinating show, this one.
0: No, it absolutely has. And I think, you know, my, my final thing, sport, You know, as we walk, go back into the second half, if you like, of the season, obviously rolling into the transfer window, yeah. I, I'm sure you'll notice it's etched in your mind, Rick, when, when it actually opens. Is it a couple of weeks or so? You know, what, you know <laughs> ha- having a month to do deals or the summer pre- previous to line these deals up, why and I know you touched on that earlier. Why do did, did we we look like we see so many clubs kind of scratching around an hour before deadline, or is that or, or is that just the you know the provider of the media, the breaking news at the bottom of your Sky screens, and Oh, you know, all of a sudden, Tom Bala might be happy. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, is it is it f- fake? Not fake news, yeah. but is it a false way of doing things because these have been going on for for a while.
2: I think I think like I I think it's a combination of like all of it. Some of it is just rubbish, just made up stuff to try to get you to read newsreads and stuff like that. Some sometimes you'll have clubs or agents putting stories out there that aren't true in order to try to move something along. Wow! So you might say, "Oh, blah blah is interesting. And I think you saw it with the guy that you were obsessed with on this, the, the striker that went to Juventus.
0: I remember. Oh I yeah, was, um, yeah. Well, I kind of remember his name. The, oh God. The, W- yeah, but by, Wig- but for him
2: specifically, Wig- when, Wig- he si- Wig- Wig- when he signed Wig- Wig- yeah, when he signed for Juventus, they said the deal was agreed four months ago and he spoke to nobody else, and we were being pumped in for months. Yeah, yeah and yeah, actually yeah. that could have just been somebody using us to try to push out a story to get somebody else to move. So that happens. Sometimes, as I said, you've got the train and then sometimes some That breaks down and then something happens really late. So Then the whole chain goes back to normal again. Or sometimes people do just leave things to the last minute because they think, right, bang, if we go in now, we'll get him and, you know, we can push this through at a lower price. So I think it's a combo. And and then also panic sets in because there is that posturing and negotiating. And then you're like almost like, right, if we don't get this done now, it's
0: never going to happen. We need to move right now just in just in your opinion rather than inside knowledge you you might have but uh you know you can keep that to yourself of course the klusevsky and rodrigo bentonker yeah. is you know was done late you know we, there was a lot of rumors about a lot of other players coming in these two weren't even on our radar i don't think until probably two days maybe three days before the january transfer window ended obviously they came in and they have been absolutely outstanding i've met any Tottenham fan or other pundit of, of of other clubs or whatever that have said, wow, these, these two are rubbish. Um, they've been brilliant. So, firstly, please, Paratici pr- and Mister Levy, yeah. <laughs> can you do it again, please? Um, but but equally, do you think that that was planned in in advance or you know, a little bit more? Because I didn't feel like it was a panic, but. It, I mean, they've come out of nowhere almost, didn't
2: they? Yeah, I I reckon, you know, people always say the Paratici has like a couple of people he's negotiating with, so it wouldn't surprise me whether there was like two or three people that they were negotiating with and maybe they had people that were more higher up on the list that they would have preferred, but they've negotiated that, deal when it's on the table and they're like, right, this isn't happening now. Let's give up on it and get it these two. Because, again, you've got Juventus, you've got two players, you've got two player agents. It's not that quick. You've got to personal terms with both of them and all of those types of things. So, I'm sure they would have probably been negotiating that for a long time. And then... It's a ridiculous deal when you look at it again. I think Benton, he's, he's 16 million euros. It's it's awesome. Yeah, 15.8 million
1: up front. It's insane, isn't it? It is, it is absolutely
2: insane. And Kulizewski, yeah. again, he's forty. 40 or £45 million when we buy him. Again, it's, mm. you know, it's that ludicrous transfer fees for how good they both are.
1: Yeah. Um, it is always fascinating having you on. Lee, thank you so much for joining us on this one, mate. It's been a real pleasure. We've got you back with us soon, gearing up towards the start of the resumption of the Premier League. Ed, just oh, to we, close it with you, I know you've got um, some, some news, maybe for some viewers and listeners here. I know you've got something very exciting happening for you in the new year. Should we close the show with that very quickly?
2: yeah okay um yeah so so um i mentioned before we do a lot of financial education i don't just work in football i work in sport so um we've been working with a couple of boxers and we um we we basically put together a financial education program in boxing because they are even underserviced in this space specifically more than football they've got a much shorter career you can get knocked out and then your career is over your earnings are very erratic Um, So we've put together a financial education programme specifically for boxers, and we spoke to a number of people. And we've just launched with 258 Management, who is Anthony Joshua's management agency, a financial education programme that we're doing to them, their boxers, and then we're trying to roll it out in the industry sort of wider with Team GB and so on, hopefully, in the future.
0: Amazing,
1: mate. Superb. Brilliant. Brilliant. Add to socials, I'm sure people can catch you over at Sports Finance for any questions they may have. Just don't flood the inbox too, old, because now you've got a very busy day job, right? <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, no, yeah, it's good. Thanks a lot for having me on, as always.
1: Pleasure, Talk Adam. Thank you, so Lee, thank you so much, Lee. Thank you so much, hard. Bud. We're looking forward to having Adam on back throughout the season, guys. Please, Cheers as always, man. keep safe, keep well. We're back with you as always, very, very soon on Last One on Spurs. Take care. Thank you so much. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash.